This is The Guardian. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Can matchmaking on reality TV ever be for true love? In order to be successful in this process, you need to get vulnerable. Welcome to Love is Blind. So let's get married and see where this journey takes us. You're listening to Pop Culture with me, Shantae Joseph, for The Guardian. All right, my lover girls and lover boys, I have a fun fact to share. So I was recently approached to audition for The Love is Blind. You know, the infamous dating show, which essentially tests the idea that you can fall in love before ever seeing each other. Hands down, she's everything that I could have ever imagined. And then some. Will you marry me, Jack? Of course I'll marry you. Oh my God. As much as I was flattered, I'm skeptical about these dating shows and the gamification of love, and particularly how they can portray you for entertainment value. Because how can someone ever know who my perfect match is? With Love Island starting again this week and the next season of Married at First Sight UK rumoured to be starting in August, I wanted to know what goes on behind the scenes of these matchmaking shows. I personally interview your friends, your family members, and your exes. Paul C. Brunson is a self-proclaimed love doctor, and you probably know him best as one of the Married at First Sight UK experts. But what you might not know is that he started off in a very different profession. I was an investment banker, but I consider one of the greediest professions in the world. And uh, distinctly remember the moment that I knew I had to leave was when my boss, who was having his first child, his wife is pregnant, she's in the hospital. He decided to come to work instead of going to the hospital. And he got that. He got applause because we were working on this big deal. And I realized the culture didn't fit my values. But what really was the true turning point for me was when, uh, you know, I always say I'm Jamaican and I have 10 jobs. I had this one part-time job, really, this, this, this nonprofit organization that I started. And we provided tutoring services for kids that were coming from low-income households. And I had this one summer program, I'll never forget, 100 students in this program. Not one had two parents living in their household. And that's when I started to think about, okay, fundamentally, there's something happening. There's something that is missing in the household. And that's when my colleagues would joke me and say, Paul, why don't you just become Hitch? What happened? 
I became Hitch. I quit my job uh, at the investment bank, went back to school for social psychology, uh, did an apprenticeship with a woman named Rachel Greenwald, who I consider to be the world's top matchmaker. And over the next year, learned how to become a matchmaker. And so when you started your company, One Degree From Me, you were a matchmaker and a life coach, and you had a very specific aim for that company. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. And that's well-researched, by the way. So we started in Washington, D.C., and specifically, we focused on Black women. The matchmaking industry was heavily segregated. Black women were having a very hard time being able to become clients of matchmakers anywhere in the world. Wow. And the reason for that is that many matchmakers were saying that there were not enough available Black men. And as a result, they couldn't take on Black women as clients because Black women predominantly wanted to date Black men. So that became our niche. That became our focus. We became very successful at matching Black women with Black men. Wow. If you start this in UK, you will become a billionaire because the the girls, yeah. me included, the girls absolutely suffering. Like we need that everywhere. So if you ever expand international operations, listen, I'll be your first client. Trust. <laughs> the, the desire for love uh, around the world is a human need. And it's something yes. that is a big business as well. Uh, and it continues to grow every year. And so Let's get into into your TV bits now, because obviously I'm a huge fan of Married at First Sight. I think it is the most chaotic and brilliant show I have seen. Like one of my favorite dating shows. And I always say, like, if I'm ever going to go on a dating show, it would probably be Married at First Sight or Love is Blind. Like that is the sort of like, just catapult me right into the badness and I will thrive. And I love it (laughs) so much. But for people who haven't seen Married at First Sight, I know it's kind of in the name, but could you tell us what it's about? Yeah, you're right. It's all in the name. Uh, We take complete strangers and we, being myself and two other experts, we match them. And the first time these strangers see each other is at the altar. Go on. Whitney, it's your turn. Oh, God. Where they are married. My love and respect I give to you. My love and respect I give to you. It just doesn't feel right. It's it's all right, it's all right, it's all right. They essentially have to remain married for the course of about seven weeks. And and within that time, they can decide if they want to leave or not. And when COVID hit, Channel 4 licensed Married at First Sight Australia. The entire entirety of the UK sat and watched Married at First Sight Australia. It was a lot more dramatic. I say that to someone like that. I would say things differently. We had dinner parties and commitment ceremonies where the couples would come together. And that creates a lot of, you know, comparison and drama. And so... Our series converted to that that same format, and then it became even more popular, and it's become one of the most popular shows in the UK right now. It's brilliant. I I am such a fan. I want to get into the details of how people are matched. Like When you are looking at someone and they're talking about their wants and their needs, how exactly do you then you know, match them up with someone else? Is it like, you know, you like blue, you like blue, you like Harry Potter, you like Harry Potter. Like, what is it that you you look for when you're kind of matching people up? So when matchmaking started, uh, you know, people say matchmaking is the second oldest profession right behind prostitution. So matchmaking has been around for a long time. But the way that it worked as a profession, we would only match you with someone who was also a client. Married at First Sight UK is we have people on the books and you have to match it yeah. because they have to be vetted 
right? We're doing criminal background checks. We're doing psych- psychological yes. tests, right? We're doing uh, every test. You know, you even have uh, a STI test, which in essence makes these candidates very strong because they have been tested. The criteria that we use is, is actual criteria. So for example, if, you know, attachment theory is something that's very important. There's secure mm-hmm. attachment, there's avoidant, right? You have, you know, more of like a dependent style, right? So you look at that, you want to always try to make sure that at least one of the people within the pairing is secure, right, in, in their attachment. You want to look for alignment in values, not necessarily yeah. interests, but values. But what makes it challenging is you have a pool. So if I can match you with an infinite number of people, that makes it much higher likely that I can match you with a stronger match versus I have a pool of 100 people now that I have to match you with. Mm. But that being said, a lot of people don't realize this. Married at First Sight UK has the highest match rate of any Married at First Sight franchise. So that, that first series that I was on now, so there were four couples in that series. Three of those couples are still together. Two of those three have babies. One just announced that they were oh they were God. pregnant last week. Yeah, that's incredible. Do you feel ever feel disappointed when you match someone up on the show and like, you know, on paper it looks it's great and it's going well and then they don't end up together? Oh yeah. I used to view that as a failure, but I go to a therapist and part of what my therapist has helped me to realize is that I'm not a failure. You know, when when these mm-hmm. things happen. Uh, but the first two series, I, I would get uh, very upset, you know, when the couples didn't work. Because uh, every week they sit on the couch in front of us and they can decide to either leave the experiment because they don't feel like they're working or to stay in the experiment. And I was almost assigning my value or linked it to whether or not they stayed. And I had to realize that there's so many factors that go into whether or not a couple wants to stay, you know, and I do my best on the front end and then do my best coaching them along the way. Yeah. Because I guess there's so much more than like, yes, you can be aligned in these ways, but there's so much more work that needs to go into a relationship happening and continuing and whatnot. So it's like, it's, it's beyond you at at, at a certain point. All you can do is bring the people together. you, You could bring them together and then you could give them the best advice possible. But, but quite honestly, what, I think the brilliant part of the show, but where we lose control as experts is when the couples come together in the dinner parties. I'm going to say Jenna. Still together? I always feel really happy when we walk around the dinner parties and we're still together. It's always a really nice feeling. It is is human nature to compare. But when we compare, it always, 100% of the time, it leads to despair. And what the couples do, what you see them do is... They jockey for position, right? You have the couples walk in and they say, we're the strongest. So therefore they try to exhibit that they're the strongest. You have other couples who look at the other couples and say, oh, we must be the weakest because we haven't had sex or whatever it may be. And they begin to relegate themselves to the weaker couple. That kind of infiltrates how they show up for each other. As experts, it becomes hard to manage because they start comparing Mm. each other. Let's take a romantic stroll, but don't go too far, because when we come back, I'm going to find out how much matchmaking on TV is for love and how much is for entertainment. 
Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series We Were the Lucky Ones with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Because it's a TV show and the element of it has to be entertaining for people to want to keep coming back, how much of it, how much of matching people is also somewhat about trying to make entertaining TV? Because yeah. like, I mean, not so much in the UK one, but in other ones, I'm like, two people are put together and I'm like, these people, in what world should these people be together? So it's yeah. like, is it always like you want to find the best person or you want the most entertaining couples? The, the quick answer to this is that I can't speak for other Married at First Sight franchises, but what I know mm. about ours is everyone that we match, the goal is to see them together for the long haul, right? Now, mm. are there certain couples that are stronger than others based on the pool that we have? Absolutely, right? Absolutely. Also, too, we have to realize that certain people are stronger people to be matched. You know, one of my favorite books is Carol DeWick's book called Mindset. And in Mindset, she talks about we either have an open mindset or a closed mindset. If you see someone who has an open mindset, they're 10 times more likely, you know, to have a stronger relationship than someone with a closed mindset. So the moment that you mm -hmm. have a closed mindset in the room, you know it's going to be more of a challenge. So it could be mm -hmm. harder, absolutely. But at the end of the day, there's no one where we're saying, all right, this is going to be a fail. If we were, you know, that's called stunt casting, right? If mm. that was our objective, then what would happen is you would ne inevitably see people just bust up and there wouldn't be a love story of, of, of the ups and downs. And like when you get people who are so kind of like fixated on this is what my person needs to be like, how do you help them to have a bit more of an open mindset, as you, as you say, to kind of, yeah, be open to receiving something that is outside of what they view as, as their, like, their one and all person? Yeah, I, I love this question because it shows you and it suggests that uh, any relationship you have with anyone begins with the relationship that you have with yourself. It's a very small number of things that you should require. But at the same time, I think it's very important to understand what characteristics drive marital satisfaction versus characteristics that are meaningless. One of the strongest characteristics around being in a, or you know that your partner is a strong partner, is low neuroticism. But Shante, how many people you hear talk about that? I have no idea what that is. <laughs> see, <laughs> see, it's like no, nobody, nobody talks about this, right? Low neuroticism is someone who can stabilize quickly 
when dealing with stress. Now, why is that so important in a relationship? Because your relationship is going to be nothing but ups and downs. And if your partner can't stabilize quickly, you won't have the same person. You're going to have someone else. The low neuroticism is so important. So when you are dating someone or you are seeing someone, to be able to identify if they can stabilize quickly is incredibly important. But this is rarely talked about. So going back to the question of the list, I think that one big challenge that we have is we have a list filled of things that are meaningless to a long-term relationship. That's one. Secondly is when we do have our list, we have to understand that we are not rational thinkers. When it comes to our love life, we don't think rationally. We think irrationally. We can't make strong decisions. So therefore, it's important to have a group of friends or family members that you can go to for rational decisions. What are kind of some of the, I guess, lessons maybe you've learned from seeing some couples thrive and some couples like ultimately split up? Give a little little drop on this current series is, you know, the little, little T, little T is there, there, there's, there's one couple in particular that you look at and you say, all right, there's no way. There's absolutely mm. no way. Every week you look at it and you say, um, maybe, nah, not right. Uh-huh. <laughs> but but what happens is they both have decided that they're going to continue to exert effort. And I think effort yes. equals interest. This is also some more tea on this series. And from what I know about you, Shanti, I think you will find this probably most interesting. This Married at First Sight UK cast is the most diverse cast we have ever had. And I believe this is, you know, I know you're going to quote me on this, so I'm saying it, but I believe that they, this could be the most diverse cast in the history of, 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 you know, definitely UK reality television. Definitely. What I learned is through that, because that was your question around lessons, is uh, there's a lot of trauma that I think we all have trauma and we're all trying to work through that trauma. Uh, and I think being able to see someone else's trauma is one of the most humane things you can do is to realize that this is someone who could be politically opposed to you, but they are also suffering. And to be able to see their suffering is one of the highest forms of, of, of humanity. Oh, that's so interesting. Gosh, I'm really looking forward to the series, you know, and I love that it's so diverse because I feel like I just, I do want to see more, particularly, I mean, selfishly, I want to see more black women on these shows right. experiencing like love in the truest sense. I feel like from my own lived experience to what I see on a lot of like popular dating shows, it's always, you know, black women finishing last, black women the last to be picked, black women have them having the most kind of traumatic experiences. And I, I, I don't know if you ever watched it, but Oprah did a series called Black Love, where she yes. had all these kind of celebrities come on and talk about their relationships. I don't know if they're all famous, but I think a lot of them are famous. And they were obviously black couples, like mostly black men, black women. And I just remember watching it feeling really sad because it would always be this black man being like and I cheated on her all the time and I had a baby with someone else and I did this and I did that and she stuck by me he's had a lot of affairs and women kind of think like it's okay well I'm gonna do it too yeah that was just so trauma-inducing and it was like gosh the only way that I'm going to be valued and appreciated and picked and chosen as a as a black woman who wants love is to be able to persevere and it's just it's not it's that's not what I want to do I don't want to struggle especially not in the most intimate relationship of my life and so I feel like a lot of the narratives that we see 
particularly around Black love, whether it's a docuseries, whether it's a show, it just sometimes can feel so frustrating to watch. The whole idea of diversity in these shows is so important because I, I too want to believe in love. I want to believe in it. So please show me some positive things in my brain that help me to feel like this is something that I can be entitled to. This is going to blow your mind, but you probably won't be surprised. Black love has not been normalized around television. Um, and that needs to change because mm. there are, you know, a lot of people don't realize this in the 1960s, mid 1960s in the U.S., African-Americans had the highest marriage rate among any ethnicity in the United States. Mm. There's lots of untold stories around uh, Black love that really do need to, to get out because it serves as inspiration. And so I want to go into dating today because I saw you recently at a Tinder event where you talked about a report that they published into dating in 2023. And there were a lot of really interesting findings in there, like lots of good stuff was referenced about Gen Z and their approach to dating. One of the things you talk about is interrelationships becoming a rule and not an exception. Can you explain what interrelationships are and why they are so important? So with interrelationships, here's what I find most interesting. We we focused our studying around Gen Z because Gen Z makes up 50% of the Tinder you know, population and Gen Z is dictating how we are dating now. We found that 80%, so 80% of, of, of these Tinder users say that they have dated someone of a different ethnicity than they have. We're moving to a place where interrelationships, and I say interrelationships are interreligious, interracial, international, mm. where these are going to become the norm and not the exception. There was another aspect in it about Gen Z daters being all or nothing and they're kind of challenging traditional dating norms. Like what is this kind of all or nothing behavior and, and how are Gen Z kind of subverting it? So all or nothing suggests that what Gen Z is saying is no longer are they sending the representative out at the first date. Right, the representative mm. being, I'm not going to show you who I am. I'm going to hide my 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 uh, whatever I find to be uh, cringy. That's the way millennials and everyone older, Gen X and baby boomers, dated. But what Gen Z mm. is doing is they're saying, No, I don't have time to waste. To wait, I don't have money to waste. I, you know, if I'm going to if I'm going to show up for you, I'm going to show up mm -hmm. as my full self. I'm going to dress the way I want to dress. I'm going to talk about politics. I am going to be fully me. And if you either A, can't handle that or don't like it, then I know that we were never the right match anyway. You know, what, what blew me away is Gen Z is the first generation to not place physical attraction at the top of wow. their list. Number one on their list is someone that they feel they could be fully themselves with. Yeah, it's exciting. I love it for them. Honestly, I feel like that's how everyone should really approach dating anyway. Don't get me wrong, like, looks are attractive. And I, when I think of everyone that I've dated, they look exactly the same. It's almost oh, quite wow. scary how similar. Wow. Like I definitely have a type, but then I guess it's it's more than that that is required to like keep something going and to keep someone around. And I think like I, I love that for Gen Z. So whilst we're on dating apps, right? I, you know, have I've been on the apps. Like I'm definitely less on it now. I I feel like I deactivated quite a few of my apps quite recently because I was just like, 
I can't do this anymore. But is there a is there a good way to engage like with dating apps? Like how can you kind of be on it and have a fun time and avoid a lot of the kind of awful bits that come with online dating? Yeah. To have a fun time. That's that's the big one, right? Because people do. A lot of people just get, you know, just get disgruntled about it. I think a large reason for people's disgruntlement comes from setting too high an expectation. We don't know our type. We don't know. Mm. We think we know, but we have no idea who is the best person for us. Well, well next is optimize your profile, right? A, okay. a lot of us have terrible profiles. A lot of my men, oh my gosh, fellas, <laughs> fellas. If you have to take your shirt off, hold a stack of cash, sit in front of a car that's not yours, and in your left hand, right hand you got cash, and your left hand you have a dog that's not your dog, there's a problem. Mm. And then last but not least is when you have you know liked someone or you swipe right on someone, immediately contact them. Some of the data that's really interesting shows that in the UK, folks in the UK are slower to respond to a crush than in the U.S. Mm. In the U.K., slower to set up a first date than in the U.S. Right? You, you, you don't have to feel like you have to be conservative about it. If that's your interest, be you. Say, okay. You have the man. If you match, start the chat. Suck up the Britishness, bite the bullet, and maybe then we will all be dating as much as the Americans are. And when it comes to being on a dating show... You know, I think I will stick to my role as an audience member, but I cannot wait for the next season of Married at First Sight UK. And I can't wait to see more Black Love on screen because that is something I'm 100% here for. That's all, lovebirds. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. And if you did, then please subscribe and leave me a review. Before I let you go, make sure you check out Today in Focus's recent episode, which includes The Guardian's Guide to This Summer's Music, Movies and Culture. This week's episode was produced by the redhead Cupid Hattie Moya, sound designed by Heartstopper Mauliceto, original music by Son of Venus at Tokukutie, and the executive producer is the Roman god of love, Maz Ebtahaj. See you next Thursday. This is The Guardian. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.